0: Section 21 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Curtis Matson. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4 by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 11, Part 2. Number seven. But as evil always produces evil, the bishops, disdaining this jurisdiction as a thing unworthy of their care, devolved it on others. Hence the appointment of officials to supply their place. I am not now speaking of the character of this class of persons. All I say is that they differ in no respect from civil judges, and yet they call it spiritual jurisdiction though all the litigation relates to worldly affairs. Were there no other evil in this, how can they presume to call a litigious forum a church court? But there are admonitions, there is excommunication. This is the way in which God is mocked. Does some poor man owe a sum of money? He is summoned. If he appears, he is found liable. When found liable... If he pays not, he is admonished. After the second admonition, the next step is excommunication. If he appears not, he is admonished to appear. If he delays, he is admonished, and by and by excommunicated. I ask, is there any resemblance whatever between this and the institution of Christ, or ancient custom or ecclesiastical procedure, but thereto vices are censured. Whoredom, lasciviousness, drunkenness, and similar iniquities they not only tolerate, but by a kind of tacit approbation encourage and confirm, and that not among the people only, but also among the clergy. Out of many they summon a few, either that they may not seem to wink too strongly, or that they may mock them in money. I say nothing of the plunder, rapine, peculation, and sacrilege which are there committed. I say nothing of the kind of persons who are for the most part appointed to the office. It is enough, and more than enough, that when the Romanists boast of their spiritual jurisdiction, they are ready to show that nothing is more contrary to the procedure instituted by Christ that it has no more resemblance to ancient practice than darkness has to light. Section 8 Although we have not said all that might here be adduced, and even what has been said is only briefly glanced at, enough, I trust, has been said to leave no man in doubt that the spiritual power on which the Pope plumes himself with all his adherents is impious contradiction of the word of God and unjust tyranny against his people. Under the name of spiritual power, I include both their audacity in framing new doctrines, by which they led the miserable people away from the genuine purity of the word of God, the iniquitous traditions by which they ensnared them, and the pseudo-ecclesiastical jurisdiction which they exercise by suffragans and officials. For if we allow Christ to reign among us, the whole of that domination cannot but immediately tumble and fall. The right of the sword, which they also claim for themselves, not being exercised against consciences, does not fall to be considered in this place. Here, however, it is worthwhile to observe that they are always like themselves, there being nothing which they less resemble than that which they would be thought to be namely pastors of the church. I speak not of the vices of particular men, but of the common wickedness, and consequently the pestiferous nature of the whole order, which is thought to be mutilated if not distinguished by wealth and haughty titles. If in this matter we seek the authority of Christ, there can be no doubt that He intended to debar, the ministers of his word, from civil domination and worldly power, when he said, The princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Matthew 20, 25, and 26. For he intimates not only that the office of pastor is distinct from the office of prince, but that the things differ so widely that they cannot be united in the same individual. Moses indeed held both, Exodus 18.16, but, first, this was the effect of a rare miracle, and, secondly, it was temporary, until matters should be better arranged. For when a certain form is prescribed by the Lord, the civil government is left to Moses, and he is ordered to resign the priesthood to his brother. And justly, for it is more than nature can do for one man to bear both burdens. This has in all ages been carefully observed in the church. Never did any bishop, so long as any true appearance of a church remained, think of usurping the right of the sword. So that in the age of Ambrose it was a common proverb, that emperors longed more for the priesthood than priests for imperial power, for the expression, which he afterwards adds, was fixed in all minds, palaces belonged to the emperor, churches to the priest. Number 9. But after a method was devised by which bishops might hold the title, honor, and wealth of their office without burden and solicitude, that they might be left altogether idle the right of the sword was given them or rather they themselves usurped it with what pretext will they defend this effrontery was it the part of the bishops to entangle themselves with the cognizance of causes and the administration of states and provinces and embrace occupations so very alien to them of bishops Who require so much time and labor in their own office that though they devote themselves to it diligently and entirely without distraction from other avocations, they are scarcely sufficient? But such is their perverseness that they hesitate not to boast that in this way the dignity of Christ's kingdom is duly maintained, and they, at the same time, are not withdrawn from their own vocation. In regard to the former allegation, if it is a comely ornament of the sacred office that those holding it be so elevated as to become formidable to the greatest monarch, they have ground to expostulate with Christ, who in this respect has grievously curtailed their honor. For what, according to their view, can be more insulting than these words, quote, the kings of the gentiles exercise authority over them quote but ye shall not be so unquote luke 22:25 and 26 and yet he imposes no harder law on his servants than he had previously laid on himself quote who says he made me a judge or divider over you unquote luke 12:14 we see that he unreservedly refuses the office of judging. And this he would not have done if the thing had been in accordance with his office. To the subordination to which the Lord had thus reduced himself, will his servants not submit? The other point, I wish they would prove by experience as easily as they allege it. But as it seemed to the apostles, not good to leave the word of god and serve tables so these men are therefore forced to admit though they are unwilling to be taught that it is not possible for the same person to be a good bishop and a good prince for if those who in respect of the largeness of the gifts with which they were endued were able. For much more numerous and weighty cares than any who have come after them, confess that they could not serve the ministry of the word and of tables without giving way under the burden. How are these, who are no men at all compared with the apostles, possibly to surpass them a hundred times in diligence? The very attempt is most impudent and audacious presumption. Still, We see the thing done, with what success is plain. The result could not but be that they have deserted their own functions and removed to another camp. Number ten, there can be no doubt that this great progress has been made from slender beginnings. They could not reach so far at one step, but at one time. By craft and wily art, secretly raised themselves before any one foresaw what was to happen at another time when occasion offered by means of threat and terror extorted some increase of power from princes. At another time when they saw princes disposed to give liberally, they abused their foolish and inconsiderate facility. The godly in ancient times, when any dispute arose in order to escape the necessity of a lawsuit, left the decision to the bishop, because they had no doubt of his integrity. The ancient bishops were often greatly dissatisfied at being entangled in such matters, as Augustine somewhere declares. But lest the parties should rush to some contentious tribunal, unwillingly submitted to the annoyance, These voluntary decisions, which altogether differed from forensic strife, these men have converted into ordinary jurisdiction, as cities and districts, when for some time pressed with various difficulties, betook themselves to the patronage of the bishops, and threw themselves on their protection, these men have, by a strange artifice, out of patrons made themselves masters. That they have seized a good part by the violence of faction cannot be denied. The princes, again, who spontaneously conferred jurisdiction on bishops, were induced to it by various causes. Though their indulgence had some appearance of piety, they did not, by this preposterous liberality, consult in the best manner for the interests of the Church, whose ancient and true discipline, they thus corrupted, nay, to tell the truth, completely abolished. These bishops, who abuse the goodness of princes to their own advantage, gave more than sufficient proof by this one specimen of their conduct that they were not at all true bishops. Had they one spark of the apostolic spirit, they would doubtless have answered in the words of Paul, quote, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, unquote, but spiritual. Second Corinthians 10.4. But hurried away by blind cupidity, they lost themselves, and posterity, and the church. Number 11. At length the Roman pontiff, not content with moderate districts, laid hands first on kingdoms, and thereafter on empire, and that he may on some pretext or other retain possession, secured by mere robbery, he boasts at one time that he holds it by divine right, at another he pretends a donation from Constantine, at another some different title. First, I answer with Bernard, be it that on some ground or other he can claim it, it is not by apostolic right. For Peter could not give what he had not, but what he had he gave to his successors, namely, care of the churches. But when our Lord and Master says that he was not appointed a judge between two, the servant and disciple ought not to think it unbecoming not to be judge of all. Bernard is spearing of civil judgments, for he adds, Your power, then, is in sins, not in rights of property, since for the former and not the latter you received the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Which of the two seems to you the higher dignity, the forgiving of sins, or the dividing of lands? There is no comparison. These low earthly things have for their judges the kings and princes of the earth. Why do you invade the territories of others? Etc. Again, quote, you are made superior. Unquote. He is addressing Pope Eugenius. Quote, For what? Not to domineer, I presume. Let us therefore remember, however highly we think of ourselves, that a ministry is laid upon us, not a dominion given to us. Learn that you have need of a slender rod, not of a scepter, to do the work. Of a prophet. Again, it is plain that the apostles are prohibited to exercise dominion. Go you, therefore, and dare to usurp for yourself either apostleship with dominion or dominion with apostleship. Immediately after, he says, The apostolic form is this dominion is interdicted, ministry is enjoined. Though Bernard speaks thus, and so speaks as to make it manifest to all that he speaks truth, nay, though without a word the thing itself is manifest, the Roman pontiff was not ashamed at the council of Arles to decree that the supreme right of both swords belonged to him of divine right. Number twelve. As far as pertains to the donation of Constantine, those who are moderately versant in the history of the time have no need of being told that the claim is not only fabulous but also absurd. But to say nothing of history, Gregory alone is a fit and most complete witness to this effect. For wherever he speaks of the emperor, he calls him his most serene lord, and himself his unworthy servant. Again, in another passage, he says, quote, Let not our Lord, in respect of worldly power, be too soon offended with priests, but with excellent consideration, on account of him whose servants they are. Let him, while ruling them, also pay them due reverence. Unquote. We see how, in a common subjection, he desires to be accounted one of the people, for he pleads not another's but his own cause. Again, I trust in Almighty God that He will give long life to pious rulers, and place us under your hand according to His mercy. I have not adduced these things here for any intention thoroughly to discuss the question of Constantine's donation, but only to show my readers by the way how childish the Romanists tell lies when they attempt to claim an earthly empire for their pontiff the more vile the impudence of Augustine Stucus, who, in so desperate a cause, presumed to lend his labour and his tongue to the Roman pontiff. Vala, as was easy for a man of learning and acuteness to do, had completely refuted this fable, and yet, as he was little versant in ecclesiastical affairs, he had not said all that was relevant to the subject. Stucus breaks in and scatters his worthless quibbles, trying to bury the clear light, and certainly he pleads the cause of his master not less frigidly than some wit might, under pretence of defending the same view, support that of vala. but the cause is a worthy one, which the pope may well hire such patrons to defend, equally worthy are the hired ravers whom the hope of gain may deceive, as was the case with Eujubinus number thirteen should any one ask at what period this fictitious empire began to emerge five hundred years have not yet elapsed since the roman pontiffs were under subjection to the emperors and no pontiff was elected without the emperor's authority an occasion of innovating on this order was given to gregory the seventh by henry the fourth a giddy and a rash man of no prudence great audacity and a dissolute life. When he had the whole bishoprics of Germany in his court, partly for sale and partly exposed to plunder, Hildebrand, who had been provoked by him, seized the plausible pretext for asserting his claim. As his cause seemed good and pious, it was viewed with great favour, while Henry, on account of the insolence of his government, was generally hated by the princes at length hildebrand who took the name of gregory the seventh an impure and wicked man betrayed his sinister intentions on this he was deserted by many who had joined him in his conspiracy he gained this much however that his successors were not only able to shake off the yoke with impunity but also to bring the emperors into subjection to them Moreover, many of the subsequent emperors were liker Henry than Julius Caesar. These it was not difficult to overcome, while they sat at home sluggish and secure, instead of vigorously exerting themselves, as was most necessary, by all legitimate means to repress the cupidity of the pontiffs. We see what color there is for the grand donation of Constantine by which the Pope pretends that the Western Empire was given to him. Number 14. Meanwhile, the Pontiff ceased not, either by fraud or by perfidy or by arms, to invade the dominions of others. Rome itself, which was then free, they, about a hundred and thirty years ago, reduced under their power. At length they obtained the dominion which they now possess. And to retain or increase which, now for two hundred years, they had begun before they usurped the dominion of the city, they have so troubled the Christian world that they have almost destroyed it. Formerly, when in the time of Gregory, the guardians of ecclesiastical property seized upon lands which they considered to belong to the church, and after the manner of the exchequer affixed their seals in attestation of their claim, Gregory, having assembled a council of bishops, and bitterly inveighed against that profane custom, asked whether they would not anathematize the churchman, who, of his own accord, attempted to seize some possession by the inscription of a title, and in like manner the bishop, who should order it to be done, or not punish it when done without his order all pronounced the anathema if it is a crime deserving of anathema for a churchman to claim a property by the inscription of a title then now that for two hundred years the pontiffs meditate nothing but war and bloodshed the destruction of armies the plunder of cities the destruction or overthrow of nations and the devastation of kingdoms, only that they may obtain possession of the property of others, what anathemas can sufficiently punish such conduct? Surely it is perfectly obvious that the very last thing they aim at is the glory of Christ. For were they spontaneously to resign every portion of secular power which they possess, no peril to the glory of God, no peril to sound doctrine, no peril to the safety of the church ensues. But they are born blind and headlong by a lust for power, thinking that nothing can be safe unless they rule, as the prophet says, quote, with force and with cruelty, unquote. Ezekiel 34, 4. Number 15. To jurisdiction is annexed the immunity claimed by the Romish clergy. They deem it unworthy of them to answer before a civil judge in personal causes, and consider both the liberty and dignity of the church to consist in exemption from ordinary tribunals and laws. But the ancient bishops, who otherwise were more resolute in asserting the rights of the church, did not think it any injury to themselves or their order to act as subjects. Pious emperors also, as often as there was occasion, summoned clergy to their tribunals, and met with no opposition. For Constantine, in a letter to the Nicomedians, thus speaks, should any of the bishops unadvisedly exalt tumult, his audacity shall be restrained by the minister of God, that is, by my executive, unquote. Valentinian says, quote, good bishops throw no obloquy on the power of the emperor, but sincerely keep the commandments of God the great king and obey our laws. Unquote. This was unquestionably the view then entertained by all. Ecclesiastical causes, indeed, were brought before the episcopal court, as when a clergyman had offended, but not against the laws, he was only charged by the canons, and instead of being cited before the civil court, had the bishop for his judge in that particular case. In like manner, when a question of faith was agitated, or one which properly pertained to the church, cognizance was left to the church. In this sense, the words of Ambrose are to be understood, quote, Your father." Of august memory, not only replied verbally, but enacted by law, that in a question of faith, the judge should be one who is neither unequal from office nor incompetent from the nature of his jurisdiction. Unquote. Again, quote, if we attend to the Scriptures or to ancient examples, who can deny that in a question of faith, a question of faith, I say, bishops, Are wont to judge Christian emperors, not emperors to judge bishops. Again, I would have come before your consistory, O emperor. Would either the bishops or the people have allowed me to come? They say that a question of faith should be discussed in the church before the people. He maintains indeed that a spiritual cause, that is, one pertaining to religion, is not to be brought before the civil court, where worldly disputes are agitated. His firmness in this respect is justly praised by all, and yet, though he has a good cause, he goes so far as to say that if it comes to force and violence, he will yield. I will not desert the post committed to me, but, if forced, I will not resist. Prayers and tears are our weapons. Unquote. Let us observe the singular moderation of this holy man, his combination of prudence, magnanimity, and boldness. Justina, the mother of the emperor, unable to bring him over to the Arian party, sought to drive him from the government of the church and this would have been the result had he, when summoned, gone to the palace to plead his cause. He maintains, therefore, that the emperor is not fit to decide such a controversy. This both the necessity of the times and the very nature of the thing demanded. He thought it were better for him to die than consent to transmit such an example to posterity. And yet, if violence is offered, he thinks not of resisting, for he says, It is not the part of a bishop to defend the faith and rights of the church by arms. But in all other causes, he declares himself ready to do whatever the emperor commands. Quote, If he asks tribute, we deny it not. The lands of the church pay tribute. If he asks lands, He has the power of evicting them. None of us interposes. Gregory speaks in the same manner. I am not ignorant of the mind of my most serene lord. He is not wont to interfere in sacerdotal cases, lest he may in some degree burden himself with our sins. He does not exclude the emperor generally from judging priests, but says that, there are certain causes which he ought to leave to the ecclesiastical tribunal. Number 16. And hence all that these holy men sought by this exception was, to prevent irreligious princes from impeding the church in the discharge of her duty by their tyrannical caprice and violence. They did not disapprove when princes interposed their authority in ecclesiastical affairs, provided this was done to preserve, not to disturb, the order of the church, to establish, not to destroy, discipline. For, seeing the church has not, and ought not to wish to have, the power of compulsion, I speak of civil coercion, it is the part of pious kings and princes to maintain religion by laws, edicts, and sentences. In this way, when the Emperor Maurice had commanded certain bishops to receive their neighboring colleagues who had been expelled by the barbarians, Gregory confirms the order and exhorts them to obey. He himself, when admonished by the same emperor to return to a good understanding with John, bishop of Constantinople, endeavors to show that he is not to be blamed. But so far from boasting of immunity from the secular form, rather promises to comply as far as conscience would permit. He at the same time says that Maurice had acted as became a religious prince in giving these commands to priests. End of section twenty one. Recording by Curtis Matson, Wheaton, Illinois.